Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi Wright, founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. Before we jump into the episode, I am very excited to announce registration is open for the second annual Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on October 22nd at the Athlete Lab in Little Canada, Minnesota. Just like last year, we'll be including video submissions for participants who are unable to make the trip in person. You'll be able to submit your videos until midnight central time on October 22nd and be eligible for all of the same prizes as our in-person competitors. Just go to our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com for details. Now, happy new year, everyone. 2022 is here and I hope it is starting off healthy and well for you. I cannot wait to see what this year holds in store for all of us. In this week's episode, I welcome in Brenna Thompson. She is a registered dietitian and a licensed dietitian in the state of Minnesota. She's worked for many years in dietetics, uh, helping people with a host of medical conditions use nutrition to improve their lives and better manage their conditions. We dive into what it means to be a dietitian, what that credential looks like, how she got into that field, um, what she actually does in practice now, and then we really take um, some some practical advice on how to manage blood sugar, which is her uh, one of her areas of expertise. She has a lot, but one of her areas of expertise and an area of focus is managing blood sugar, managing insulin, and she gives us uh, her five top tips for how to manage your blood sugar. So I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I want to take a second to say that I'm incredibly grateful that you listened to this podcast. If you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review on the platform podcast in your app of choice and support my work by supporting our sponsors whose affiliate links you'll find in the episode notes. And of course, if you want to step onto the platform and compete in kettlebell sport or you need coaching for your nutrition, please reach out to me. I help athletes of all levels reach their goals without wasting time using my integrated coaching approach. You'll find the link to apply in the episode notes. And you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. And now, let's step onto the platform with Brenna Thompson. All right. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Platform Podcast being live streamed on Facebook in the Kettlebell Fat Blast group. My guest this week is Brenna Thompson. She is a registered dietitian and in the state of Minnesota, I have to say she is a licensed dietitian. Um, Brenna, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So, since we just got into the credentials, let's let's start with that topic. Um, what does it mean to be a registered dietitian as opposed to a nutritionist? A you know, uh, what are whatever titles you see out there on the social medias? Um, what is the difference between being a registered dietitian, a licensed dietitian? Um, some of some of those things. What what are your credentials, and how are they different from you know any random person you may see on Facebook? Sure. Uh, so to become a registered dietitian, which is a nationally recognized um, credential. So that's where you have to get an undergrad degree and then you apply for an internship. You do your internship, uh, usually at a hospital. And then you take a, um, unless it's changed in the last 10 years, a, about a 140 question um certificate registration exam and you only have to take it once hopefully you don't you know lapse on your CEUs and then have to take it again someday uh, so that's what it takes to become a registered dietitian uh, you can also let's say somebody's been doing 
life for a while and they decide, oh, I want to change careers and become a registered dietitian, then they could also do a master's program. And then again, they still have to go on and apply for, do an internship and take their exam. So that's the registration piece of it. We'll say. Okay. And that's what, how long is the internship typically? Uh, so they are typically about a year long, give or take, okay. you know, a month or two in there. Uh, I think mine was about 10 months long and yeah. And, and it is hard to, people might think like, oh, internship, that's nice. Uh, actually the year I graduated about 50% of the dietetic students who applied for internships were placed. And so that is a lower placement rate than people trying to get into, uh, I want to say their medical residency. Yeah, that's that's one thing that that I know about uh, the dietetics path is, that I've learned from friends of mine who are RDs that it's like, holy crap, they were like so stressed out about getting place. And it was like they applied for 15 different internships. And I was like, Oh my gosh, why are you applying to so many? They're like, yeah, about half of the people that apply get in. Uh, so so they're like, so I'm, I'm I'm willing to go any, I'm willing to go anywhere to get, cause they're like, I I can't wait a year to get another, the next round of internship or another semester to get the next round of internship applications. So I was, I, that was my first exposure to it, but it's, it sounds like it's super competitive and like super, super intensive, which is, I mean, I think a good thing since it's a nationally recognized uh, credential. Um, what does what does being a registered dietitian actually entail as far as scope of practice is concerned? So scope of practice means that I can go into a hospital and I can work in a hospital. So that would be uh, someone coming onto a cardiac floor, working with cardiac patients and giving them information on a heart healthy diet. Or uh, really, I think of somebody as being a working in the hospital, I would want a dietitian, or I, I kind of think of it, the areas that I found interesting when I was doing my internship uh, was on more of the medical surgical floors, the um, kind of like post-op, working with in the NICU, and really kind of delving into what we call uh, TPN or total parenteral nutrition, where we're actually feeding you through your veins. Mm. Or there's also going to be tube feedings for a lot of these patients if they've had major surgery or if they've been extremely sick and are unable to eat by mouth. And so those would be your tube feedings. And I thought those were really interesting. Um, Also kind of delved into my least favorite at the time was having to go in and talk to people about their new diabetes diagnosis and having to give them that information in the hospital because they're usually like in pain, they're drugged, like they don't feel good. Um, it's just, it's not the place to do that kind of education. Um, yeah. People aren't usually super receptive at that point. So. Yeah. That's a very challenging situation to step into like, Hey, I know you're really drugged up and in pain right now, but let me tell you about why you shouldn't eat sugar anymore. Either. Yes. <laughs> let me tell you about why that piece of pie you just ordered is not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, a rough situation to step into. So where did you, so where did you do your undergrad and then where did you do your, your internship at? So I did my undergrad at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and then I did my internship at West Virginia University in Morgantown. Okay. So that's go Bulldogs and go Mountaineers, right? Um, no, we were the Mavericks. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, it's uh, Duluth. Duluth is the Bulldogs. Sorry. Let's see, I got my. I got my Minnesota schools crossed up. Yeah. And those Mountaineers, man, it is no joke on football days. You like, we just stayed in the apartment because you weren't going anywhere. (laughs) I had a, yeah, I had an athlete that, uh, that actually transferred from Iowa, a kid that I coached in high school that played at Iowa and then graduated. And since he had graduated, he could transfer without sitting out a year and he transferred and played a year uh, at, at West Virginia. And he said, it's crazy. He's like, it's crazy. It's insane. (laughs) It was insane, but uh, very cool and and cool it was it was a gorgeous area to get to live for 10 months um very neat learned a lot totally different um we're gonna say like culture compared to the midwest and just it was a great experience that's fantastic so let's get into your origin story a little bit you know we'll go we'll go we'll go back we'll go back a little ways and and say um you know where what what made you want to get into 
uh, health, fitness, wellness, nutrition, you know, the, the dietetics path is not one that is uh, well trodden by a lot of people. So no. why, 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 why this, why this life path where, you know, how did you grow up and, you know, what led you to this career path? Well, I grew up in lovely Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I ran cross country and track for most of my junior high and high school times there. I tried doing about a year and a half stint at MSU and um, because of a bunch of injuries, just decided that was finally, finally, it kind of clicked after having about five stress fractures and then severe tendonitis. It was like, you know, maybe you shouldn't run. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had that realization in like seventh grade, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so in there, there was always a little bit of that having to kind of learn along the way about hydration and a little bit about nutrition, even in junior high and high school, you kind of learn like, oh, don't eat right before a race. And on race days, we would always have, whether it was true or not, you know, like a couple of days beforehand, you're doing the big spaghetti feeds because you're supposed to carb up. And um, we had all of these myths around things that you could or couldn't eat on race days. And it was gonna you know maybe impact your performance or not uh, superstitions so, die hard in oh, sports man, yeah. it's it's crazy it's crazy and then just eating after our races because i i did the uh 1500 typically and the 3000 in mm. college yeah it's a lot of laps yeah um, yeah 3000 3000 is brutal like 50 1500 and we're talking meters, right? Yes. 15, 1500 meters. So just under a mile. Right. And yeah, it's about a hundred meters under a mile. And then just, and then just under two miles, which, um, like the, the mile is brutal because it's, it's a short enough race that there are parts of it that you have to sprint, right? you know, yeah. and, and, and there's, it's not like people think of it as an endurance race, which it absolutely is, but it's a short enough distance that it's, it's like, as far as <laughs> Go ahead. You, I mean, you know we more about it than I do. I just observed it. <laughs> to the uh, to the freshmen who would come in, they're like, "So, how do you like how what's the like what tactic do you take with the fifteen hundred? We go, well, you kind of take it like a four hundred, and then you just hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so, for anybody who who doesn't follow that, um, four hundred meters is one lap around the track, and you basically sprint it yeah. most of the way. Um, yeah. And uh, so we're just like, yeah, you just run it like a 400 and you keep going. Yeah. It's not uncommon for 400 meter sprinters to throw up after their races because they've literally pushed their body at lactic threshold for the entire duration, which is if you're fast, uh, you know, 50, 50 to 55 seconds, if you're really fast, yeah. you know, um, and then, yeah, you just hold that pace for basically an, an entire race for a mile is what, is what the 1500 people do, which is yeah. insanity to me. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, I, I was a thrower, so I just like went through heavy implements and, you know, so if conventional weaponry fails, like I can throw a spear, I can throw rocks, right? Like, but, uh, other than that, like, I can't, I can't run away from, from things very, very well, not for very long, at least. So you might like tip of the cap to you for being, <laughs> for being able to do those distances. And then at least with cross country though, you, you've, do you typically finish in a different place than you started or do you still finish in the same place that you started? Well, you, you basically finish in the same place you start, but you run like over hills. Yeah. Yeah. You run over hills and stuff. I couldn't, I couldn't remember if that was like trail running where like it's at the top of the the end of the course is at the bottom of the, but no, now that I recall, you're right. You still finish in the same, but I always used to give my, my middle distance and distance runner friends a really hard time because I would like cheer them on while they were running and I would give them their splits and stuff. Like, you know, I tried to be a good teammate, but then at the end I would be like, Oh, you just ran 10,000 meters and you're right back where you started except you're exhausted <laughs> and just be like, you're, you're an asshole. And I hate you. <laughs> like, here's your Gatorade. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get you, let's get you up and get you, get you over to the tent, you know, but that's, that's awesome. So, so that, that then dovetailed into an interest in it did. nutrition. It was, I was, I was interested in food. I really enjoyed cooking. My parents got me a KitchenAid mixer for my 15th birthday and well, nice. just, playing around with that. And so my dad uh, was actually a teacher and I had this idea that I wanted to become a home ec teacher. So went to MSU for that, got about a semester in and was like, nope, I do not want to do this. And 
So I was sitting at home over Christmas break and Joy Bauer came on, I think it's the Today Show and was talking. And somehow I also happened to see something with a sports dietitian. And I looked at my mom and I go, mom, that's what I want to do. I said, I want to go work with sports teams and, and talk about food and all this. And thankfully MSU had a program. So I just switched majors and that's, that was the origin story there. The rest, the rest is history. So now what do you do now for, for, for fitness? Like you, it sounds like you're, you're not a huge fan of running long distances anymore. I I don't run at all this past summer. I was kind of like, I want to try running again. And I got about a week into it and my knees and everything was just like, girl, no. (laughs) It's like that office meme of Steve Carell like, no, no, like screaming at you. Yeah, so these days, uh, well, I'll tell you back in, so we we did a stint, uh, my husband and I did a stint down in Georgia for about three years and moved back here in 2011, it was, and uh, I think then in about 2013, I saw this woman at our local SNAP Fitness teaching this class, and they were like swinging these weird things around. <laughs> And I could not figure out what was going on in that class. I was like, what, what are they doing? And she came out one day as I'm on the elliptical and she goes, hey, I'm Linda. This is a kettlebell class. You want to join? Okay, sure. And so from there I got in started swinging and they do more hard style, but it was once or twice a week we were in there and found some, some good people and kind of got introduced to kettlebells that way. Otherwise it was still a lot of, um, I kind of got into more um, bodybuilding style lifting, just weightlifting, just not running. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Doing a little yoga for a while and then you have babies, COVID shut stuff down and you start over. Yes. All of those, all of those things. Yeah. It's uh yeah, COVID is COVID is rough, and the shutdowns are definitely rough on on everyone. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know how we're continuing to get through the the continual like lockdowns and like the the seeing things start to ramp up again is demoralizing. But um, you know, I'm hoping you know this is a peak, and then there and then it narrows off like we've seen elsewhere. You know. All, like we talked about before we started, before we started recording, you can't control it. So you're just like, you can't control it, control what you can control. <laughs> and as long as they don't take away my child care at the YMCA, I'm okay. And you're if they right. do, there's always garage fit. <laughs> yes, that is, that is true. You have all sorts of implements at, at home. I see Ryan, I see Ryan posting, you know, I picked up a sandbag, a 70 pound sandbag. 500 times today. That was my workout. That was know, his like, workout. <laughs> Ryan's Ryan is a, is a member of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, but he he's, he's kind of off on his own, doing his own, his own weird, his own weirdness, but he, he has the, the wonderful, the wonderful mustache, um, which I, I, I hear you actually kind of like it. Is that, is that true? I am a fan of the stash. He grew it out. I don't know. I think when our youngest was, oh God, like three months old or so, and now he's three. So um, and after the competition, he gave, if people don't know, he is Mr. Nordic stash. Yes. Uh, Nordic yes. stash on, on the Instagram. Yeah. So I'm like, does that make me Mrs. Nordic stash? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had my, I had my, my, I will call it my Teddy Roosevelt stash for, you know, for just a couple, just for a few, a few days. And he was trying to encourage me to keep it. Cause, uh, when, when we met up for beers, he, he was, he was like, oh, you got to keep it. You got to keep it. And I was like, my wife hates it like hates it with the fire of a thousand suns well i think our our son who's three saw some we have some pictures in the house and ryan doesn't have any facial hair in it and i think one time he was like who's that (laughs) yeah i shaved i when i shaved like straight up clean shaved like my kids had not seen me without any facial hair at all. Like I've, I've been wearing a beard for a long time. So like my, my kids had not seen me without any facial hair and my son just looked at me and was like, and then he just busted up laughing. I was like, my, I was like, oh great, my face is hilarious. Like he could not, he could not stop laughing, which was, which was just fantastic. It made me feel really good. But I get it. It was, it was. I'm sure it was very, very weird for him to to not to not see me with facial hair. But 
So now um, you, you mentioned you mentioned that you wanted to do sport. You wanted to do sports nutrition and, and work with teams. Is that what you do currently with your with your RD? Or let's talk a little bit about about what your actual uh, job looks like now. Not even close. So, <laughs> I knew the answer to that. But, but. Not even close. No, sports dietetics is actually very difficult to get into. It's typically something that people kind of do a little bit more on the side before they're really able to dive into it full time. Um, and, and I did try to kind of get into it a little bit, but it just, life didn't take me down that path. Um, I really, when we lived in Georgia, I worked in a hospital and helped run the outpatient diabetes program there. When we came back to Minnesota, uh, I worked for about six years with a weight and wellness group and really just continued more and more about blood sugar. And I really found, I was like, you know, I don't want to just talk about performance all the time. Like, I don't want it to be just like really focusing on weight and like all these little like bits and pieces. I actually want to help people like legitimately feel better. And that was something that I really fell in love with were kind of those light bulb moments for people when they go, oh my gosh, this, like this food or this way of eating has been making me feel terrible. And now I feel so much better. I've lost 40, 50, hundred pounds. My favorite was a gentleman who said he just wanted to be able to get up and down off the floor when he played with his grandkids. And we had him doing that within a month. So. Oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. Fantastic. So it's, that to me is more, is the most rewarding. Um, but then had kids, you know, kind of decided it was time to change things up and found a group called Stepping Stone Clinic, which is actually an integrative psychology clinic. And so did that back in, what was it? 20, end of 2017, very early 2018. Um, and I'm only, I was only there two days a week, but it was, it was a lot of fun to just take a whole different look at things and really focus on brain health and get to work a little bit more with, uh, in the pediatric population, more teenagers, which are really challenging. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I am dreading those years, frankly, a little bit, like I'm, I'm excited for them, but also kind of dreading. Yeah. At least they can legitimately have a conversation with you. True. True. Yes. Uh, so that's what I've been doing and also had two kids and how old are your kids now? So Frederick is three, Victor is almost 17 months, I think. I think. I'm going to start calculating my age in months. I mean, I'll have to do some math and carry some, carry some twos and stuff, but you know, I, I think I'm going to start talking when people ask me how old I am. Like I'm going to tell them how many, how many months I am just. He's, he's a year old, but he is insane. So. <laughs> Yes, that I, I understand that. I understand that feeling very well. My, my daughter, Kira, is like the sweetest, smartest, just kindest. And she was such an easy baby. She was so happy. It's the, you know, the, the joke of like, you know, that's, that's how the universe tricks you into having a second child is they give you the easy one first, you know, and then you, and then you have another one. And like, my son is, is also fantastic, but he was like, he, he had, he had uh like acid reflux so we didn't get it like, even after even after even after he was born like you know my wife probably didn't sleep for a year after he was born and then you know and then once we finally got that that under control and then it was like he got into the same age range as your son and it was like this kid's nuts like he's trying to kill himself he's actively trying to kill himself like number this two is apparently are just it is like he has figured out how to pull the drawer out from the oven, like that little bottom drawer, and yeah, stands yeah. on it so that he can reach up to the stove and like <laughs> play with the stove. Yeah, I think our I think our sons are are kindred spirits because yeah. yeah, he was he was definitely doing all of those things and trying to take things apart and trying to like oh, you know, does this fork go here? No, that's an outlet. You know, like you're like and you had like we had outlet covers on, but he's like so mechanically inclined that he was like figured out how to pry the outlet cover out with the fork so that he could then try and you know you're like no 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 like yeah um that's why I have no hair I'm I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's my children's fault <laughs> you know that's that's 
it's fun. We're it's it is a joy most most of the time. Most, and most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes it sometimes it's terrible. So but okay, so you so you get to work you get to work with a lot of different a lot of different populations of people that have actual um, diagnose, diagnosed issues that they need they need intervention with, right? And that's that's one of the big differences between a, a registered dietitian and Joe Schmo off of the internet, right? Is that you right. can actually you can actually use food as an intervention for a diagnosed medical condition. You can uh, not not to I mean, is it prescribed? Can you is prescribe the wrong word or because I want to I want to make sure I'm careful with my language. We'll, we'll say that prescribing we recommend. a diet recommend okay we, we prescribe a diet we recommend a diet yes so as a dietitian it is within my scope of practice to use re- evidence-based medicine and and etc um, to prescribe a diet to somebody based on their diagnosis and their symptoms um, and versus somebody who is just, you know, like, oh, I went online and I got, you know, a nutrition certificate or I got a, you know, whatever they think. Like me, like I, like I have, I have multiple, I have multiple nutrition coaching certifications, but that is looking at it from the perspective of uh, how do I help, how do I help someone who has the general goal of being healthier, losing weight or performance or whatever. And I'm, I'm educating myself to be able to support that, but I'm, I'm looking at their macros and I'm giving them feedback on how they're doing with behaviors. But if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I'm diabetic. um, What do you recommend I eat? I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to recommend that you talk to my friend Brenna because she could she could actually give you a very a, a much better level of care, and that is outside of my scope of practice, right? I'm not going to I'm not going to give people uh, nutrition recommendations based uh, ba- to to solve an actual med- diagnosed right. medical issue, right? Like that that's where it's important to draw that line. And it's not to say that there aren't people who are not dietitians who are not actually medically based professionals. Um, who don't know a lot about nutrition because you can learn about this in textbooks and YouTube and online. It's not like the information isn't there. It's just that, like you said, if you're working with somebody and you want something specific, find the person with the credentials who, yeah, and with the knowledge. Um, I mean, that credential ensures that they have the requisite knowledge, essentially. I mean, it's not, it's not that you can't find somebody without the specific credential that could help you. Yes, of course you can. But you could also find the person that's like, oh, I really recommend that you, you do this and this, and you should completely eliminate breads entirely, and you should take this supplement, and you should do this and that. And, you know, like, there's, there's also those, there, unfortunately, there are also those people. <laughs> And that's why, so in Minnesota, we have the licensing board. Not all states require licensure um, for dietitians or nutritionists, um, but we are one of them. And that means that somebody come, somebody who's got a certificate, so even somebody as yourself, you even though you have good knowledge about nutrition and recommending diets for performance and for weight loss, um, you could not use, you can't call yourself a nutritionist in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, now you could call yourself a nutrition coach. You can call yourself a health coach, um, but nutritionist or dietitian is off limits. Yep. And that's why I'm very careful about that. And I, I try and be, and I try and be very transparent and clear about that because there is a difference. And I, I do not make the mistake of conflating that I have as much knowledge as Brenna has. So just so, just so that we're clear, like I know where my, where my gaps are and I know where my, my cap is. And I try very much to stay in my lane. Um, in that, in that regard, because I feel like that's professionally important. I feel like it's ethical and I think it's just the right way to, to treat people because I want people to get the appropriate level of, of help for what they're looking for. Right. Yes. And I think that's where, even for me within my scope of practice, it's, I know at this point in my career, unless I went back and did a lot of like just self-study learning a whole lot more there's no way I could walk into a hospital and, and be like, yes, let me write your TPN order. I would have no idea what I'm doing at this point. Um, now, if somebody comes out of the hospital and they're like, I need to gain weight, I need to, um, you know, follow a heart healthy diet or a diet for diabetes or pancreatitis or fatty liver disease. Yes, we can do that. Um, and that's within my scope of practice. Because I work with a lot of psychologists, I'm working with a lot of mental health concerns as well. And so 
even though I'm in a psychology clinic, it is not within my scope of practice to try and, you know, I don't know, diagnose somebody with anxiety or depression. Like, yeah, they come in and then we talk about how we can use nutrition to support their mental health and get their brains working better. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's super, that's super interesting. That is an area, that is an area that I feel like is, um, for lack of a better word, more of an emerging science. Like, I, I feel like it's relatively new. We, we, you know, relatively in the scope of, you know, uh, human existence, right. That where we've, where we finally started to understand that neurotransmitters are affected, you know, by a number of things, including what you put into your body and how easy your body can produce them and, and how they are both produced by, and also affected by what you what you ultimately ingest, right? So can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what are some really interesting things that, that you've learned in your course of study when it comes to uh, the, the relationship between food intake and brain health? Oh my gosh, where? I know that's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> and if we need to break it down into, into chunks, we certainly can. I just, that, it's super fascinating to me. So I think I, I always come back to blood sugar because if you don't get that piece of it right, it's like the rest of your day is just crummy. Um, so for some people, it's like, if you give them, if you start their day off and you give them a bowl of cereal or the bagel or something else, and we have this huge blood sugar spike with it, people will say like, oh, you know, I feel good. It's fine. It gives me some energy, but then they just crash later on. And as your body has this big blood sugar crash, you, it's your brain, I'm going to jump all over the place here. Um, <laughs> it's like your blood sugar goes up, your body produces insulin, and that insulin also stimulates serotonin. And so you have that time where you're kind of like, ah, I feel good. Like, like happy, okay. happy chemical, happy neurotransmitter, yes, serotonin, it's happy neurotransmitter. But then it's very short lived because then we get this blood sugar coming down and what that's where the, in, the insulin comes in right and clears out clears out the glucose from the blood clears stream. it out and when we go high like too high too fast we get too much insulin and so then we bring it down too low too fast and in that process it's like also we've also got the serotonin being retaken up by i believe it's the dendrites um correct least, uh, yeah <laughs> and uh <laughs> And so then you're like, oh, no, I don't feel so good. And your blood sugar's dropping. So you're like, now I'm really tired and I'm anxious and I'm crabby. And you know, the Snickers commercials where people get hangry. So we're coming down and it's like, you see all of these people who think they, who think, who are experiencing depressive symptoms, anxiety, ADHD, lack of focus, um, mood swings, all of these things going on. Well, it's because their blood sugar is just, all over the place all day. Um, and if we can get that more even, all of a sudden they go, oh, life isn't terrible. Mm. I mean, I had a woman years ago who her friend knew that she couldn't afford to come work with me or with any anybody within our practice. And so her friend bought her one session. She was like, just, just go. And this woman had bipolar disease and disorder and was taking like emergency anti-anxieties two to three times a day. Oof-ta. I mean, this was just, it was running her life. And I looked at what she was eating and it's like she, her eating was just so erratic and all over the place. And I'm just like, okay, I have one session with her. What do I do? Like I have this like, like one and a half to two hours. What what can I do to make the most impact? And I just said, I need you to eat every three hours. I said, you get up in the morning and you're going to have something to eat. And it's going to be some protein. And we're going to throw some fats in there and have a fruit or a vegetable. I said, and three hours later, you're going to eat a snack. Three hours after that, you're going to eat lunch. Or maybe you're getting up and you have breakfast and then you have lunch. Three hours. She called me two days later and she goes, I haven't taken my emergency anxiety medications in two days. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Platform Podcast. We will return to the episode shortly. 
I just want to take a second to thank everyone who has made 2021 such a special year for me here at the Platform Podcast and the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club. Everyone who trusts me to be their coach, those of you who came to the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open, our sponsors, Elevator Belts, Barefoot Athletic Shoes, Pro Kettlebell, 27 Degrees Apparel, Cambrian Customs. Thank you all so much for your support, and I cannot wait to see what 2022 holds for us all. Because she was just so susceptible to those big blood sugar drops that it, it was just ruining her life. And that was in one session. So it's, it's amazing what we can do. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And um, can you talk a little bit about, um, and I'll, I'll try and frame this question a little better. So it's not, not quite so big. Um, so there's, there's the, there's the inverse relationship between insulin and cortisol, right? Um, mm-hmm. We, so, so in the morning when we wake up, we have the cortisol, the cortisol levels come up because we have the cortisol waking response, right? Yep. Um, how does that relate to, so we were talking about having a, a big sugary breakfast. What happens then to your, to like, how, how is that? To me, that's one of those mistakes that I see a lot of people make where they start with, they start with a really heavy carb, heavy breakfast because we've been, you know, bombarded since that's we were, what the we're age, programmed. That, that yeah. we were since the age two, right. That you're supposed to have, you know, the frosted flakes in the morning as part of a balanced breakfast, which also includes a bagel and also includes, uh, orange orange juice juice and a and, yeah, exactly. Right. So can we talk a little bit about how, how cortisol and insulin, uh, you know, relate to one another and, and how that relates to the, to the morning in particular, like starting your day off well. So I just, uh, I think of it more as, so people will say you are, uh, less, what is it? Less insulin resistant in the morning. I don't get that nitty gritty into it. What I will say is that, yes, our cortisol should be coming up as your melatonin is going down in the morning. And that's going to be part of what wakes you up. Now, if we throw a whole bunch of just carbs on that, and we start a big roll, blood sugar roller coaster, that's going to drive your cortisol levels even higher because it's really stressful on the body to have to try and be like, okay, do we need more insulin? Do we need more glucagon? Can we not produce glucagon because the insulin hasn't come down yet? Can we tap into our blood or into our body fat stores? Yes or no. Can we, you know, effectively even take up all of this sugar that's being thrown at us? And so that increase in cortisol is then also going to release more sugar from your body, from your liver, over time. And that's going to force your pancreas to then release even more insulin. And as this happens, days, years go by and your cells become more and more insulin resistant, meaning they're not going to listen to that insulin coming at them saying, Hey, we have sugar. You need to take this up. You need to use this. So we become insulin resistant. This is going to throughout the day, drive up your insulin levels, drive up your blood sugar and that insulin finally says, well, we got to do something with it. So it takes it and it stores that sugar in fat cells, creates fat from the sugar, from the carbs. Cause that's all it can do. It's like, I can't get you into the, your, the organ, your liver is full of glycogen. Your muscles are full of glycogen. I got nowhere else to go. I think that's an important, that's an important point to, to also be aware of, right. Is the bigger your muscles are, <laughs> the more you, the, the, the bigger your muscles are, the stronger you are, the more storage units you have for carbohydrates, right? And that's, I think that's an important, that's an important piece for, for people to understand. That's one of the reasons I'm such a big advocate for strength training, especially for people that are overweight already and trying to lose weight. Like one of the big things that I try and introduce right away is like, Hey, let's get, let, let's lift some weights because it's going to help you manage, manage your blood sugar well, uh, or help you manage your blood sugar better than you're managing. it. obviously there's also dietary interventions that we can also make. And those two in combination are even, are even better. But I think that's really important for people to understand is like, you can only store like carbs aren't necessarily the enemy. Like we, we've, we've been told, but you also have to understand that, that if, if there's nowhere for them to go and you're taking in too many of them, they can really do a lot of damage pretty pretty easily right at a certain point or longitudinally especially yes and and that's where there we kind of 
because we're humans and I don't know if it's an American thing or what, you know, we had all the years of like fat is terrible. And then all of a sudden it was like, <laughs> carbs are terrible. Okay. Then what are you left with? Meat carnivore diet. The carnivore <laughs> diet. Um, which, and here's the thing. There are some people who do really, really well on a low fat, higher carb diet. There are some people who do great on the carnivore diet. And I have worked with people at both ends of the spectrum. But there's most of the rest of us in between who do better on something else. Some mix of some, some mix. Some mix in there. And, and I've just started doing some genetic testing for patients. And it's really interesting getting to see how even within that, it's like, there are some people who do really well with the high saturated fat keto stuff. Mm. And that's what they need to keep their blood sugar really well balanced and to help break down insulin resistance. And then there are other people who it's like that saturated fat is not as beneficial for them and might actually make them gain weight or make them, um, you know, they might be the people who tend to have the higher cholesterol, more inflammation, and they really do thrive more in the like Mediterranean diet. But I don't mean a bunch of pasta. I mean, a ton of vegetables, lots of protein, and just cooking more with like olive oil, avocado Healthy oil, fats. That, that bend versus doing a bunch of butter and coconut oil. So, so you're saying it needs to be customized to the individual. <laughs> So I'm saying there's nuance. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. So you're saying it depends. So I'm that's, saying it depends. That's one of the things that my my clients are very used to hearing from me. And I tell them, I'm sorry, but the answer is it depends. And let me explain why. <laughs> because it, there's all of these nuances. Um, but now I'm going to put you on the spot and say, with that, with that caveat of that, it usually depends on the individual. What are some general recommendations that you would give to most people? I won't say everybody, but to most people, if they want to manage their blood sugar better, let's just say, what would be like your top five tips to manage, to manage your, to manage your blood, your blood sugar better. And I'll give you a little bit of time to think, cause I realize that that's, that's putting you on the spot, but like, what would you say would be your, your, and you don't have to put them in order. We can put them in order after, but what would be like your five tips? Oh, that I mean, to- number one is eat more protein. Dear Lord, the, the, the meat phobia that we have had for years and years in, and especially for women, um, you know, I remember growing up and it was like, we had oatmeal and bagels for breakfast. I think my mom would put a slice of deli meat on her sandwich. And then at dinner, it was, I don't know, we would have like hamburger helper or spaghetti or something. Um, And so by the end of the day, that was maybe the only meal that anybody in our family was actually having some really good solid amount of protein in there. And when you don't have that protein, you aren't getting enough amino acids to make your neurotransmitters to help support good brain health, but you're also not getting one of the most, like the most satiating macronutrient. And so you end up being hungry and having cravings all day. Mm. So, all right. So tip number one, eat more protein. I can, I am on board with that one for sure. (laughs) And when people, you know, they're like, well, I have an egg for breakfast. I'm like, that's great. My cat can eat two eggs. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. That's, that's like nine grams of protein, depending on (laughs) nine grams of protein. And I need you to get to 30. So let's keep going here. (laughs) Um, So that's number one, managing blood sugar. Um, Have some, have some fat with it. And again, that's going to vary for different people. So that might be for somebody um, such as myself, I, did some of the genetic testing. And I was like, oh, look, you really are one of those people who needs to do more of the unsaturated, the monounsaturated fats. So now I really geared more towards the olive oil. Avocados are pretty much always on our counter. Olives. And that's not to say that I don't still have something like some sour cream and butter cream cheese around. Yeah. So, so for, for people to understand there's three types of fat, there's, there's saturated, well, there's two, two primary types, right? There's saturated and, and unsaturated, but there's two, there's two types of unsaturated, unsaturated fat, right? Then you have your monounsaturated, which which is going to be the olives and the avocados. 
And then you have your polyunsaturated, which is going to be your nuts and seeds for the most yeah. part. So like I, I think of it as saturated fats are so, are solid at room temperature. So think of like your butter and things like most most for the most part. Butter and coconut right? oil in but, your lard. And, yeah. And then and then when you move to your unsaturated fats, the monos are the ones that are solid at room temperature or they're things that are solid at they're, room temperature. They're, the mono unsaturated or the mono the unsaturated fats are liquid at room temperature. But they're they're can the monos are typically contained in solid food items, right? Whereas the the polys are like olive oil and or is that or is that a you're, you're getting I'm, this all goofed up here? <laughs> okay, and that's why I'm asking. This is this is a question. Uh, no, so. so your monounsaturated means that there is only um, there is only is it one one double bond in there? Yes. Yeah, single a, sing, oh. a single double bond. Your single your single double bond. Um, <laughs> And so Just they're why organic be... chemistry is so hard. A single double bond. <laughs> yes. I love the class. The professor, oh my God, she was <laughs> she was hard. I, oof, I don't know. I have to go back. Organic back. chemistry <laughs> has killed many a college college yes, career. Yes. Uh, but um, but anyway, so you have that double bond in there. And so you take something like olive oil and it's gonna become solid when you stick it in your refrigerator something that's going to be a polyunsaturated is going to have multiple double bonds. And so it's going to be liquid at room temperature, but probably also when you move it into the refrigerator. So you think mm. of something like some of the natural peanut butters, even if you stick it in the refrigerator, like that thing of oil at the top is it like- Still going to stay liquid. liquid. Yeah. Fish oil is a polyunsaturated fat. And so you can even stick that sometimes in the freezer and you could take it out and it's like gelatinous. It's still kind of gelatinous, um, yeah. you know, or you have like frozen salmon and you take it out and like it thaws really fast. Versus you have something so I knew there was, I knew there was something with the, with the unsaturated fats about room temperature or not. I just got it muddled. Yeah. I just got it muddled in my head. Okay. So tip number one so was anyway, eat more I, protein. Tip number two was get some fat with some it. Fat. Eat some What's fat with tip, it. Yes. Tip number the three. Tip number three. What's tip number three? Um, get rid of the garbage. <laughs> forget, <laughs> okay, define who, that term. <laughs> um, so garbage is is garbage carbs, and I'm not going to demonize all of the breads and the pastas and the crackers and whatnot. But if that is what is making up a majority of your carbohydrate choices we need to find a replacement for it. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of people who say, but I don't feel satisfied unless I have my dinner roll. I don't feel satisfied unless I have um, the rice or the pasta or that, that filler thing in there. And I said, okay, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to put you on like just a meat and veggie diet. We can still have something like some sweet potatoes, some white potatoes, but not French fries. Mm. Um, or let's do and instead of just straight up white bread maybe we can find some kind of like a really nice grainier sourdough bread because we know that sourdough tends to have less of a blood sugar spike um for people same with like a really really well, we we do not know that i just learned that right oh. now <laughs> okay. so that's yes. but we don't eat bread in my house because my wife and son have celiac so we don't eat we don't eat gluten containing bread because my wife and yes. son have celiac so sourdough is kind of out the window for me but is it because yes. of the enzymes or like i'm just curious do it we know has why? something yeah it has something to do with the fermentation process and okay. and then this is also where we you get you know you can get really nuanced with this there are some people who can sit there and eat you know, a ton of white rice with their nice meal and you would barely see their blood sugars do much. And somebody else is gonna sit down to like this little tiny like half cup and their blood sugar goes through the roof. Mm. So again, I'm gonna say it's like, instead of having the cereal with breakfast, okay, can we replace it with, you know, a yogurt parfait and get you some, like a little bit of some crunchy granola on there, but not, just a bowl of granola. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and there's, there's also the factors that I find the thing that I'm finding really interesting as you look at some of the data we're getting from like continuous glucose monitors is like even the same person eating the same foods at the same time might have a different glucose response, depending on how sleep, how they slept, how their stress levels are, how hydrated they are. Like that is like, like not 
it doesn't surprise me, but I'm like seeing the data validate some of those things that like, you know, wellness and nutrition coaches have been harping on forever. It's like that it's all interconnected. It's multifaceted. This is holistic. It's not simple. Yeah. So I was using a continuous glucose monitor this past year and, and it was really interesting. Um, because Ryan and I would joke when I would even just use like our little glucometer, I'm like, you sat there and ate, you know, two made rights and an entire like malt and his blood sugar goes to like 140. And I would I go, be under my desk asleep. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying he didn't later on kind of want to like take a snooze or something. I go, I had two sips of that same malt and like two potato chips and ate the inside out of you know, my, my sandwich, I go, and mine goes to 150. This is not fair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there's a lot, there are a lot of other factors as, as well, which is why, which is why it matters. And the holistic approach is definitely important, but getting rid of low quality uh, processed carbohydrates in, in, in particular. And, and again, this is where for some people it's like, I don't keep ice cream in my house. And that's not because I think ice cream is a terrible food for somebody. But for me, it's one of those where if it's upstairs in our freezer, I will choose that Mm. instead of either just not eating because I'm not actually hungry or finding something that's a more nutritious, healthier. Yeah. That's setting up your environment for success, right? That's one of the things we talk about because it's like, you know, if you know the, the, the ice cream's there, I'm going to eat it. And I have clients that tell me that, like, I can't have cookies in the house or I can't hit, like, if it's there, I'm going to eat it. Like, great. Set up your environment for success. It doesn't mean the cookies are off balance or off, off, off the board entirely. It just means if you really want a cookie, you're going to have to get your ass in the car, drive to the grocery store, right. get a cookie and, and fine, get your cookie from the bakery and eat one. And I also have what I like to call the three bite rule, which has served me really well because I'm, I'm a compulsive like purchaser of things like where I'm like, oh, I really want that. That pecan roll looks phenomenal. And I'm like, ah, I've got the carbs. I'll eat it. Right. I'm going to I'm going to get it. But I give myself the three bite rule. And I'm like, you have three bites to determine whether or not you want to finish it. You take one bite and see, is it is it good? And if it's good, great. You take another bite. And then usually by the end of three bites, I'm either like, yeah, I'm all in on this or I'm like, eh, <laughs> eh. <laughs> it's, it's not worth, it's not worth it. And a lot of times all in it, and this has been a growth area for me, I, I will throw away like a, 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 like a dessert roll or something. Like if I've had three bites and I don't want the rest of it, I'll throw it away because yeah. it's not worth it to me to eat it. And that was, it used to be, it was like, if I opened the pint of ice cream, the whole thing was going, down, it, right? it's like, going you, know, yeah. you know, but now I've, I've given myself some parameters that help me like stay a little bit more reasonable, but the, the, the thing isn't, it's not the forbidden fruit anymore. Like, you know, it's not, it's not off limits. It's just, I set my environment up for success. Like if I want a pint of ice cream, I have to drive to Kowalski's to buy it because I don't keep pints of ice cream in the house for that exact same reason. That you're mentioning. And that's even where, you know, okay. So if we do decide to have ice cream, having worn the glucose monitor, I can, I can tell you which one is going to have like next to no impact on my blood sugar, whether I've eaten a meal before it or not, and which one is still going to send me through the roof. Oh, that's interesting. So, so that is where it comes in really handy. It's, um, you know, now, and I used to tell Ryan, cause he would get so mad at me. He's like, I just want to go out to pizza Luce and just get a pizza, but you just get salad. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked at him, am I allowed to swear? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And I looked at him and I was like, honey, you know that when I eat pizza, I am a crabby bitch. Like, <laughs> do you want me to eat the pizza? He goes, no, you can get your salad. <laughs> he goes, you just don't like pizza. I said, no, I do like pizza. I like pizza. When I make that my dinner, you know, when I eat my, I can eat. Like one piece of pizza does not fill me up. Like I can eat a good four pieces of pizza. Like, but then I have heartburn and indigestion and my blood sugars go all over the place and I'm tired and I, I'm just crabby. Yeah. You're like, I love pizza. It just doesn't love me back. And I'm not not in unrequited relationships. Yes. And so I'm like, yeah, let's go to pizza Luce. I'll get my salad. I'll eat like three bites of your pizza and I'm happy. You're happy. Like everybody's happy. I love it. I love it. That's great. Uh, that's I'm I'm you're now you're really peaking my I've I've always, I've been interested in the in the CGM uh, thing anyway. So now I'm like I'm I'm 
I'm really wanting to get a CGM and really and really get some more data. I love data, so I'm I'm really wanting to get more data on what affects my blood sugar and like I want to. So I'm going to talk to you offline. We're okay. going to we're going to talk we're going to talk more about <laughs> about how you can how you can help me nerd out even harder than. So get rid of the carbs, so eat some fat, eat, eat some more protein. What are got two? You got two more real. We'll and we, we can keep it fast because I, I know we're we're getting up against time, and I want to be respectful. Are we just talking about blood sugar? Yeah. Okay. Um, sleep. Just oh, um, and this is and I will say this: you need to sleep. Like, I have two other. I have you know, of course, several friends who are dietitians, and we are all moms, and we all have babies that are very similar kind of in this one year old range. And I can't tell you the number of times that we have texted back and forth and we go, I got three hours of sleep last night and all I wanna do is eat my kid's cereal. Mm. All I wanna do is like dive head first into their crackers. Or I think <laughs> Frederick brought home like a chocolate chip cookie yesterday from preschool. And of course last night happened to be one of those nights. and. I was sitting there eating my eggs and I saw that cookie on top of the fridge and I was like, yep, that's mine. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what happened to it, honey. <laughs> Cookies so, gone. So it's one of those where if you are if you are somebody who is struggling with the cravings, especially for sugar and carbs, and you're only getting four or five hours of sleep a night, address that. Mm. And whether and that might be maybe you need to work with a dietitian so that we can get your blood sugars figured out so you can sleep. Yeah. Because that's, that's one of those one. huge. That's huge. Like a lot of again, we were talking about cortisol waking response and insulin and how that relates. The other, you know, uh, cortisol and melatonin, like we talked about, are, are are inversely correlated, right? So, you know, yes. as melatonin as melatonin comes up, cortisol goes down and vice versa. You need it's melatonin to, to well, yes. Yeah. In an in, in ideal state, you need melatonin to go up in order to feel tired. You need, you need cortisol to go down in order to be able to, to feel tired, right? Those, well, one of the things that helps with that is carbs before bed can actually help, can actually help there, right? Like that it is can. one thing that, that can actually help. Now, again, now, not con context not matters. My dad likes to do before bed because if cause people are like, oh, carbs before bed, what? Tell me about this. <laughs> They're like, you know, my dad was the, you know, two peanut butter jelly sandwiches and a glass of milk before bed or a gigantic bowl of Cheerios. And it's like, no, 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 no. You I'm talking, like a, I'm talking like a teaspoon, a teaspoon of honey or something. <laughs> like, I'm talking about like maybe, you know, half an apple and some peanut butter. Yeah. Maybe. And or there are other people where it's like, we need them to not eat before bed. Like we really need to give them a really nice space. And sometimes those people know they're like, oh, if I eat within two hours of bed, I just, I sleep like crud. Yeah. Um, Again, it depends. Con context matters. It's very it individual. And throughout the day, people need to eat enough. And that's where I think, especially a lot of women get themselves into mm. trouble with the, the combination of intermittent fasting and keto, because mm. they're like, if they're gonna do one they're like let's do the other yeah we um, gotta go hardcore right if we're gonna we do it go we might we might as well go hardcore and so suddenly they're they already weren't eating enough most likely and now they're trying to not eat enough and they're not eating carbs and they're eating in this little like eight hour window and they're <laughs> like i can't sleep of course you can't sleep in particular for women our bodies don't let us sleep. They wake us up in the middle of the night to tell us to go forage, to go find energy because our, our purpose is to make babies and to take from a biological directive perspective, right? From, we're not talking the, existentially, but we're talking uh, from a biological evolutionary drive. Yes. 100%. That is our, that's our job. And so, and I can tell you that when I don't eat enough during the day, it's like 3 a.m. Oh, I'm awake. Why am I awake? What's going on? Yeah. Okay. So we got, we got the fifth tip there. So it's eat, eat enough throughout the day is, is what there I, is go. what I wrote down as the, as the fifth tip. So we've got eat more protein, make sure you get some, some fat with it, depending on what your needs are. And, you know, you can figure those out with working with somebody that like you to help figure out what types of fat and how much you need, uh, get rid of the garbage, get some sleep and, eat enough throughout the day. I think those are five pretty, pretty good 
general tips for 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 most people. Now I want to I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one more question. I I'll, and then we'll we'll let you get back to to taking care of your kids and and your your tell Ryan I said hello. But um to the to the fifth one one of the one of the myths that I think drives me crazy is the you need to eat every two to three hours in order to help you lose weight. Now there's some validity to the approach of eating every two to three hours as we just discussed and why, and why that is. But there's also research that says that it doesn't actually help you lose any more weight longitudinally. Right. So you, can you explain to us why it's still important and why it might be a good approach for a lot, for a lot of people to, to still eat that every two to three hours and, and just talk a little bit about that, that myth component of it. I think it's, there is no biological need for us to eat every two to three hours. Like it, it's this myth that we came up with at one point in time. And, and it, it feeds, a it lot feeds of, the, it feeds the fire. It stokes your metabolism. It stokes it, your metabolism. No, it doesn't. Um, I will say because we've heard this for so long, people get into this pattern or this rhythm and, and snack food is prevalent. And so they're like, well, I need to eat every two hours. I need to eat every three hours. And if you legitimately feel hungry because your body, you have a circadian rhythm, your digestive juices work on a circadian rhythm with you, your brain works on a rhythm, and that's a whole other story. And so we think we need to eat all the time. And if people are eating garbage all the time, if they're starting their day with a bowl of cereal, and then later on, they're like, I'm starving, I need a snack, and they eat a granola bar, or they just eat some fruit because an apple is healthy. We're just keeping them on this blood sugar roller coaster and they're going to be hungry all day. So if you're in that and you're starting to make these changes, it's like, yes, maybe we still have you eat every two to three hours, but now we're replacing it with more blood sugar stabilizing foods. And suddenly people go, oh, you know, after a couple of days, they're like, I'm, I'm not hungry every two hours. Yeah. And the other piece of that is, yes, you need to eat enough. So if you eat like a couple of eggs and you're like, well, my, you know, my dietitian or my nutritionist told me that, you know, I should eat some eggs for breakfast. So I eat two eggs, but I'm still hungry, you know, two hours later. Yes, that's not it's enough 140 food. calories. That's, that's 140 calories. Like <laughs> that's not enough food for most, most people when they're breaking their fast, whether that's at seven in the morning or at 10 in the morning, like that, that's just not enough food. Like we need to have a couple of eggs and some other protein in there probably and some fruits and some veggies. Like it needs to be a meal. Yeah. Like a legitimate meal. And I can't tell you how many people have told me, they're like, I don't like salads. They don't fill me up. And I'm like, what do you put on your salad? <laughs> oh, like I have some lettuce and some carrots and some tomatoes and a few bacon bits and my fat food mm. dressing. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> let me let me have you try my salad. It's got half have an you, avocado. It's I got two hard boiled salad. eggs. It's got a chicken breast. It's got it's got, it's got beans half an and, avocado on it. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I walked through when we were living in Georgia. I walked through the hospital cafeteria one day and made myself a big salad. And I'm in line paying for it. And this lady behind me looks at me and she's like, "Wow, your salad looks really good." And I looked at her, kind of turning around, and I see she went through the salad bar line and I'm like we went through the same line <laughs> <laughs> she's got like this little rinky dink thing and it's got like a few cheese sprinklings on it and mine's got you know the tomatoes and the broccoli and the cauliflower and all the stuff and the meat and <laughs> like we walked through the same line where's your food yeah don't don't be scared to eat and i'm gonna i'm gonna be gendered on this one and say especially ladies like don't be afraid to eat like you've been conditioned for so long to to not eat enough food and that is just not right and it is probably harming your goals more than it's helping like, and i'll say if you are if somebody is you know and we would always say like drink water like you're you might just be dehydrated um maybe but I can't tell you how many people I also see where they're like, well, I'm hung, like I'm hungry. So I'll just drink some water. No, if you're legitimately hungry, like you need to eat. And we need to look back at what have you eaten previously in the day? Was your like, they're like, I just like to snack. I just like to snack all day. I'm just a snacker. No, you just didn't eat a meal. 
<laughs> yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna kick we, my I, soapbox over now. No, no, this is great. I, I think I think we could definitely we could we could probably uh, rant on for hours <laughs> about, about all of these various things, and we can definitely rabbit hole on on a lot of these topics. So I definitely want to have you back. We can talk more about we can talk more about brain health. You know, and some we can pick some specific topics that we can we can bring your expertise in on. But um, I really appreciate you you taking taking the time to come on. It's been really it's been a really fun conversation. I will uh, I will type up the five tips, and um, I'll ask everybody uh, i'll ask you the same thing i ask everybody as far as how do people follow you how do they get in touch with you if they want to work with you um you know where where should they reach out how can they get it how can they get a hold of you well you won't find me on social media um because the first um, guest ever that does not have a social media uh handle i okay here's the thing i just i do not tweet i do not pin i don't what i don't insta like that's just i don't i have a facebook page but that's my own. I, it's not business, um, and I'm not going to friend you. Sorry. So if I'm you so want, I'm so I'm so offended. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, you, I actually respect the to, hell out of that. <laughs> if they want to see weird kettlebell man, they can Nordic stash him on Insta. <laughs> um, but if you want to get a hold of me and and work with me, then it's steppingstoneclinicmn.com is our website and you can I'll put that me. link in the show notes. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the clinic that I work for, uh, two to three days a week, mostly evenings these days, mostly virtual. Unfortunately, but hopefully, hopefully to be done soon. Well, that's fantastic though, because if you're virtual, then, then nearly anybody can get a hold of you. So there is, they there is can. that, that benefit. So that and is, that is nice fantastic. Thing. Uh, with dietetics, we are able to work across state lines and as, and also um, I've worked with people in Australia before. So, Oh, fantastic. And actually for, for some people, depending on how good your insurance is and what, what medical condition you have, you might actually be able to get some, some insurance reimbursement for it too. Correct. Correct. We do. I think our, my line is we accept all insurance. It just depends upon what your insurance is going to pay. <laughs> Yes, that, and cool. that's a whole other thing. Yes, our staff is very, very good at helping people figure out what their insurance will cover, what it won't. You can also pay out of pocket, and I think that our prices are extremely reasonable compared to what you're going to find at other places. So awesome! Well, Brenna, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really, I do really appreciate it. This was, this was a lot of fun for me. Hopefully, it was fun uh, for the listeners. I think it's going to be super educational. There's a lot, there's a lot of nuggets in here, and there's, there's a lot of things we can, uh, we can dive in on more uh, in hopefully future episodes. All right, thank you, Jordan. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi wright We'll be back with a new episode next week. Please don't forget to register for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. And if you have a question or suggestion, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club. And of course, if you want to step onto the platform and compete in kettlebell sport, please reach out to me. Until next time.